we go. Sports Blog New York podcast. My guys are here with me. The NBA Outsiders themselves. Home from Chicago. Back in the Northeast. John Lucas Duffy. What's up, brother? What up, Doe? That's a strong what up, Doe, right there. I like that. You bring in the energy off the bat. Shout out, uh, Jalen Rose. Shout out Jalen Rose, of course. Out of Detroit. Did you see him out there in Chicago, Duff? I didn't. I wish. Oh, he's such a great man. What a guy. Well, we'll we will get to what you did and did not see in Chicago. Don't you worry about that. But first, we got to bring in our guy, the other NBA outsider, Frank Villani. What's good, brother? Here. Here. What's Here. up, man? What's uh, up, boys? How we doing? Strong intros out of you guys. Uh, it's been a, a quick second since we actually recorded together. I think Duff and I went, two of us, on the last episode, I went solo before that. So it was like three three weeks or something since we all been been here. Uh, but what a time to be here to talk hoops because we have not the second half of the season, but, you know, like the metaphorical second half of the season, the post-All-Star break stretch where basketball gets a little bit more intense, a little bit more enjoyable, and uh, a lot more exciting. And I'm very excited. We're going to talk all things about the contenders and what they have to do in this final 25 to 30 game stretch to set themselves up for a playoff run and who do we trust the most. But before we get to any of that, we just had an all-star weekend where our outsider Duff was actually an insider. He was on the ground floor in Chicago. So Duff, the floor is yours. Talk to us a little bit about Chicago for all-star weekend, all the great things you saw and some of the people you ran into. All-Star weekend is always such a fun time. Like I, I know on TV, a lot of the stuff doesn't translate. Like people, you know, the opening, they said it was too long, this and that, you know, I, in, in, when you're in the building, it really just feels like a big party and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I would, I would say it, it, it's really just for the people in the building. Like they honestly just put on a big party for all the celebrities who are there. Um, and when, you know, I, I get to be there, I'm, we're, I'm technically working it, but you know, it's, when the event's going on, there's not much, much to do. Like it's, it's pretty much, you know, you press play and then you just cross your fingers and hope for good things to happen. Right. And this year it's been a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, people who, who had positive reactions to the all-star break and, uh, pretty much everything did some controversy around the dunk contest, but you know, it's neither here nor there. Let's focus on the positive. Um, I, I loved it. What, being there, like, what did you guys think on TV? I'm curious because I've actually heard mixed things about like the opening ceremony and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I unfortunately was at the radio station during Sunday night, so I watched like 90 percent of it on without sound because you know it was, there was a show going on. I turned on the volume. Yeah, thank yourself to, for the anthem. Yeah, anthem. yeah, I, I heard. I I had Twitter open and the uh, the audio list video of the anthem. And uh, it didn't didn't look good either, but Twitter was blown up right away that somehow it was worse than Fergie, which is uh, a tough thing to do. But um, I only turned on the volume for the Magic Johnson. Yeah, I don't know if it was worse than Fergie. That's yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I didn't hear it live. I I just there I'm just checking clips of Twitter. the players laughing in her face. So yeah, no, but but I mean, to your point, um, it was still pretty bad. I did not catch the whole thing. I was kind of distracted while it was on, but I did catch the common intros. Is that what you're referencing, Duff? Yeah, yeah. There was that stuff. There was the Jennifer Hudson song as a tribute. Oh, the Jennifer you know, Hudson thing was words. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that was, pipes, man. yeah, that was the kind of – it was pretty tasteful, I would say. I didn't have any problems with that. But, like, the common intro, it was just, like, after the first two rhymes, I was like, 
all right, we can move <laughs> on, you know? And then he, and yeah. then like it got all the way to Giannis, and you're like, you knew this dude wasn't going to rhyme anything with Anatopoko or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> Acapulco. And he Poco. tried still, and it was just like weird. I don't think it like put a damper on anything though. But uh, Frank, Frank, you you saying Giannis's last name is one of my favorite things to hear because you you typically do go with the Atempoco, and you're you're just leaving out like two or three syllables in the middle of the name. I just I, res- I respect that move, Frank. I cap you, words. You no, know, you, know you can't say it. You know you yeah. can't say it. I say you it know respect, gonna, though, you know. As long as you start it with an A and it ends with an O, you know <laughs> we, we'll know what you mean. He went what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an A to B destination, baby. Yeah, Giannis, with AM with um, a, no matter how we get there. There were there were some cool interactions I saw. Like I I was walking along the um the baseline, and I see you know Chance the rapper. He comes in to his seats. He's sitting next to Two Chains with uh with his girlfriend. I don't think I don't think it's his wife. Chance's wife. I don't know. I don't think no, Chance is ma- dude. Not. Did you not listen to the album, bro? It's all about getting married. He's, he's his wife. Come on. Is he man- the new album? No, I didn't listen to the new album. Everyone said it was terrible. It was, so I didn't it was much better. <laughs> um, Don't listen to I the people, you, Duff. Don't listen Dance to the people. Got jumped over more this weekend than he ever has. Okay, his- Pete. I'm probably not gonna listen. To it. I'm just be. I'm gonna be real with you. Um, that's, that's fine. You're lost. Yeah, and uh, let's see what what else. What else? Oh, me, oh yeah. So that was cool seeing him. I like. I saw uh, Jay Farrow, and I so badly wanted to do like the Stephen A. impression to him. Cause that's still like one of the most iconic SNL sketch sketches of all time to like any basketball fan. You know the one I'm talking about? Absolutely. Because yes. we yeah. recognize that we have been hoodwinked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that he clip, just, but you know, it's, it's not the, that one. Not get that the one, point across. Get the point. Um, no, I have a question. Yeah, I have yeah. a question for you though, Duff. Okay. All right. Give me like, give me your best dap up of the week. I'm sure you dapped somebody up that during the week at some point, just, or, or a little head nod, a sup, how you doing? Something. What'd you get? Anything? Probably uh, the best one of the week. Best one. I mean, I said what's up to Mark Cuban. That was cool. Yeah. All I was right. in an it, elevator. It took you that him. long? It took you that long to get the Mark Cuban? Guy's on Shark Tank. Well, it took <laughs> me that long because I also I also said what's up to Pat Riley. Oh. Yeah, I saw wow. I saw Pat Riley. Oh, I was like, on, I was in like the event level, like down by like, uh, like the VIP club or whatever. And then coming out from his floor seats is Allen Iverson. And he goes and he's walking down the hallway. And then Pat Riley is like, you know, as I, I, I have a vantage point where I can see, you know, Iverson coming off the court down the hall is Pat Riley. And then they turn and they kind of, AI turns and he sees him right away and he gets so excited. He goes right up to Pat Riley and they're like dapping up and hugging and talking. And it's clear like AI was AI was so excited to see Pat Riley. Like I don't know if they've ever met before. It seemed like they hadn't. Um, but who who knows? Like nah, they it, had it to was, have met before. He definitely coached what? against. He definitely coached against him at least. Yes, yes, but I don't. But that doesn't mean they've ever like spoken to each other or right, anything right, like right, that. Right. For any, but it it was like really cool to like see how excited the both of them were to see each other and how much respect guys who were in that kind of elite club of of like you know being elite players elite coaches just elite basketball personalities kind of meeting and the and the mutual admiration they had for each other was really exciting to see um also like walking 
past Shaq, he that dude is a bear. Like it, it's <laughs> it's actually like there's a grizzly bear walking down the hallway. It is unbelievable how big he is. He and has when to he be comes, the most recognizable person in the world. Easily. Easily. Because you can see him from anywhere. And then as he's walking through the hallway, everyone has to like basically step aside. Because it's, I don't know if you guys have seen this meme going around where it's like Jason Momoa is like walking. And then also he has like two bodyguards around him. And it and looks, they're so much, they're so much smaller than him. Shaq has the same thing, but it's way, way, way more obvious. Like it's, it's the, <laughs> the contrast is so much more brutal. Um, but it, that was, that was really dope to see him. And then the player. So I got like a really close up look at Giannis last year and LeBron last year. And I got, I got to see LeBron again this year. Like I was in the tunnel with team LeBron before they went out. Um, so I was like, no, he was there. Luca was there. Uh, AD was not as tall as I thought. Um, and, you know, Devin Booker, Russell Westbrook, who is like every bit of 6'4", probably close to 6'5". Like him and James Harden are really kind of the same height. How about, uh, how about my then, boy, the big male, Nikola Jokic? Dude, he he just... He wasn't like... He, he didn't look special to me. Like he really just looks like any like average to below average division one center. Like he just, looks <laughs> kinda, he really just looks like that. Like there's really nothing sh- shocking about him. Really? The I thought, I thought you would year, say he looks like a small bear, like compared to Shaq is a big ass bear. Nah. Jokic is a small bear. No, not even that. No, I've seen, like I've been in. Jokic like, uh, uh, he, he's like a, a tall, big bag of milk. <laughs> yes. Like I've been around, like my brothers played Big East basketball. I've had, you know, my dad coached like, high-level AAUs in New Jersey, and my brother coached, like, uh, in the NEC. Like, so he coached at Wagner, and, you know, there's other schools like Fairleigh Dickinson and Monmouth and whatever. Like, Jokic is someone, he kind of looks just like a little bit taller version of players that you would see in any of those situations, whether it's, like, you know, high school biggies. Like, Luke Herringote is pretty comparable to Jokic. He's just smaller. And he was he was like a, a really good center for um, Notre Dame in like right. the late two thousand. Luke Harrington. Um, Who thought we would have been going to Luke yeah, Harrington on this podcast? That's crazy. <laughs> he was a great player in college. He, <laughs> he really was. was. He was. He was He's really fantastic. Great. Um, those were fun Notre Dame teams, dude. Uh, I, well, so uh, that's really good, by the way. Let's let's uh, let's let's reel it back in for a second. So I asked you about your best yeah. dap up, and you brought Mark Cuban and Pat Riley. That's really really cool, by the way. When you yeah. see Pat Riley. Does he have like a glow around him? Like, is he glowing? I feel like he he has a glow to him. Always he, tanned. He looked exactly as you expected him to look. Just like slicked back hair. He wasn't in a suit, but he was still extremely well dressed. And he just looked like the most confident dude in the building, no matter what. And it was it was great. Like he always had this like little smirk. Like he knows something you don't. At like the the, the whole the whole time I I saw him. Um, one other person, th- all right. So that, those, I, t- I mentioned the players that like, didn't really stand out to me that much. The one who did where I saw him and he walked past me and I was like, Whoa, was, uh, Pascal Siakam. Really? He was way taller than I thought he was. Like he's, he's like a legit six eleven. Like he is to me. I saw him and Giannis walking down the hall. They really look like they were the same size. Like Giannis is, is beefier, but. Like spicy P is right there. 
And he's only listed at 6'9", by the way. He is taller. He's definitely taller than 6'9". Isn't like, it? whatever, what is Giannis listed as? I think he's listed at 6'11", if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's listed at 6'11". He's really, like, he's probably an inch shorter. So he's, like, I don't know, 6'10". Like, if Giannis is 7' foot with shoes on, Pascal's, like, 6'11". He's really close. And then, you know, um, Rudy Gobert, I walked right past him. He really didn't seem like that. On TV, he looks bigger to me. Like when he's kind of really? like in a defensive stance and he's got his arms and leg out, legs out. Lanky but Joel, Joel Embiid makes everyone look so small. He really does. Like if you see him and then no one else really looks big. Like I saw him and then I saw Anthony Davis. I'm like, huh, maybe Anthony Davis is a, is a power forward. Like if, Jan, if Embiid <laughs> is a center, maybe Davis is a power forward. That's really interesting because you like all you see the listings on uh, on the internet or on TV, whatever you watch them on TV, and you have these things in your head. Like when I see Ben Simmons on TV, I'm like he's as big as anybody on the court, and I feel like that could probably translates when you see him out there. But then you see a guy like Bam Adebayo who looks like he's the size of bigs, but he's like six foot nine. He's got like four inches shorter than a lot of centers. But he carried, I did not get a close up look at him. Yeah, he carries himself so big that it's like it's just kind of crazy. It's really interesting. Insight from you, Duff, being an NBA insider. No, no, that's a good point about Ben Simmons, too, because he is, he definitely looks every bit of 6'10. Like, he, he is definitely a really big dude. His shoulders, unbelievably wide. God and the it. other thing, even the small guys, where it's like so funny to me. Like, my brother and I, we've talked about this before. Like, he's six foot. I'm like somewhere in between 6'2 and 6'3. And we always thought of our, like, we thought of ourselves as like average height our whole lives because we were always around basketball players and I have another brother who's six foot nine. So I never, we never thought of each other as like tall or even above average. And when you are next to someone like, uh, Colin Sexton, who's like easily six, four, um, Trey young is just as tall as me. Uh, same thing with Chris Paul. Uh, so like even the guys we think of as like the smallest players in the league are still way bigger than the average person. Frank, what do you have to say about that? It's crazy that they're as tall as me. (laughs) (laughs) On TV. He needs some milk. Yeah, (laughs) Frank, Chris Paul, Colin Sexton, all 6'3", confirmed. Confirmed on the podcast. And if you don't uh, believe it, find Frank and and, and confirm otherwise. Yeah. Until then, he's six three. Yeah, until until you can confirm with proof otherwise, Frank is officially listed at six three on this podcast. Maybe maybe six two and three quarters, but I'll yeah. give myself that. And as far as you know, listener, we're the only ones who have met Frank, so we're <laughs> confirming six three. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Um Let's just wrap up the all-star stuff so we can get on to uh, the real big conversation we're going to have here. Duff, great insight from you as always. Is there anything else you want to get out there? Do you want to save it for the end? Any like last little tidbits, little stories, or, or are you feeling good about that? That was a good, that was a good bunch of insight by you. Yeah. Let me, let me think on it. Maybe I'll have something towards the end. Last words. Um, but just, just, yeah, maybe I'll save it for my last words, but just to, um, just to keep this all-star thing going, I was watching the rising stars. So I wasn't working anymore. I pretty much watched, I, I watched a lot of the rising stars game and I thought it was so much fun. Um, and I was like, man, this, this year, the rising stars game might be better than the all-star game. Nope. Like the all-star man. game was a lot of fun, Absolutely. but I think that was like this whole weekend, like aside from the, um, the whole dunk contest thing, like whatever, that was weird. Like, but yeah, yeah, bro, I don't give a shit 
about who wins it. And yeah, five I mean, to I ten years, nobody's gonna get. Yeah, you feel bad for him because he's probably the best like dunk contest dunker to never win a, a championship. Yeah. But like, who cares about dunk contest championships? When we look back, his the videos of his dunks will still be in all the compilations. I promise yes. everybody. That's a good yes. point, Frank. Honestly, his dunks are going to live on way further than whatever a championship would would a dunk contest championship. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like, does anybody even talk about it? Like, and it's like the judges. Kobe won one, right? Like when he was eighteen. Um, but he, he back like way back in the days, you think of the classic ones like Dominique versus Jordan. I don't even I don't know even who, remember who Vince Carter was going against in the one that he won. Yeah, I don't. But that's I don't, what I'm saying. Like, you don't remember who wins. You remember the dunks that made you go like, "Oh shit!" I think it's such a major overreaction by everybody saying it was a fail. That's a good point, yeah. though, Frank. Honestly, like that Zach Levine Aaron Gordon dunk contest, they both won. Like in, in yeah, re- like, yes. I yeah, like I guess I Zach think, Levine won, but Aaron Gordon probably had my favorite dunk of that whole that. And I think it was it 2016. Uh, it, it was in so. Toronto. Whatever one was in Toronto. And uh, and where Gordon jumped like he jumped sideways and then put the ball under his under legs his over the yeah. over the mascot like oh, that yes. was one of the like that was such a cool dunk that I feel like I had never seen before and he also jumped over a person that was in a mascot suit so it was like I, even if like those mascots are always at least six foot tall like just just based but on usually, usually like six and a half feet tall with those big dumbass heads they that's got. what i'm saying so like <laughs> at least, like I, I haven't seen that mascot in like up close but i'm saying like conservatively the smallest one you'll see six foot tall yeah and he fucking put the ball under his butt hey. that's crazy but no, it's actually funny because my last point i wanted to say because I, I mainly watched like the skill competitions i didn't watch the game too intently really at all um but the, the the first Dwight Howard dunk where he did like the Statue of Liberty 360. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not talked about enough. One of the sickest dunks of the dunk contest. That was underrated as hell for sure. That was yeah. sick dunk. Agreed. Dude, he's seven foot tall and he did that. Like, and he's old. You know, and he's old. Like that shit was cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really, really cool. Little uh, little inside baseball here. A little tidbit about Dwight <laughs> Howard. Actually, you know what I'll say? Uh, no, while we're talking about Dwight Howard. So he... I, I am up working as a production assistant for the NBA, right? While this is happening, I think you can tell this now because it's over. But the the like we had we had a like um in like this big road case that we would keep locked, and then you know one of the guys who works for the NBA is like, oh, go in there. There's a couple like costumes. Pull them out. Put them on hangers. And it's like these Superman suits. And I go to the guy. I was like, is these who are like are these for the who I think they're for? And he was just kind of gave me a look. He's like, I can't tell you that. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I was like, man, this dude's so corny. Like, <laughs> but it was uh, like, I mean, meaning Dwight Howard, like he's doing the same thing again. Yeah. Um, it, but then it comes out like a f- couple days later, he wants to do some kind of Kobe tribute. Right. So he has to. Um, and this is just like a little insight of the weird stuff I have to do when I'm there. He wants to do some type of Kobe tribute. He pull. he's like, uh, you know, I want to do something, you know, with the Superman logo. I want to put like a like 24 on there or something like that so we had to like we're looking for some type of stitching letters that you would find on like a like the old champion jerseys like because now with the nikes i think they're all iron on so we're we're like i'm trying to find like retro jerseys i'm like driving around chicago going into a footlocker a nike store uh a champs uh there was a mitchell and ness pop-up shop like trying to find any jersey because you can't get a kobe jersey anymore so trying to find 
any Laker jersey with the number two and four in it. So, like, I'm looking for retro Shaqs and retro um, Magic Johnsons. Eddie like, Jones? Chop up the... Nah, he was eight. Never mind. Dude, I was reaching, like, I, and I couldn't find it all over the city. Like, the only place that would have had it was Mitchell and Ness because they're the only ones that have the rights to the throwbacks. So, I, I, I'm, i like, on the internet trying to get one-day shipping for, like, Kevin Love UCLA jerseys because the numbers have to be yellow. So it's like the blue jersey with the yellow letters. So I'm like, oh man, if I get a Kevin Love jersey, the 42, and then switch it to make a 24, like I'm looking for Rick Barry throwbacks for the Warriors jerseys because he was 24. <laughs> like I was reaching deep in my bag of like NBA knowledge, like trying to figure stuff out. I was like, who on the Pacers ever had a four and a, and a two? I'm like, Rick Smith's was like 45. I couldn't find a two anywhere. So oh, I end up having to call like a, like a local high school. Cause I was like, if I was in New Jersey, I would just talk to any coach that I, that I knew and just be like, or, or like my dad and just say, where did you used to get our jerseys? And then go there and get it. And it'd be done easy. So I was like, who, who would I freaking call if I had to, if I had to do that in Chicago? So I ended up just calling a local high school and I was like, where do you guys get your jerseys? And then they, t- they told me where they got them. I had to drive like 30 minutes out to some sporting goods store in Broadview, Illinois, shout out Hildebrands. And they hooked it up. Hey. They made a great, I'll, t- I'll send a picture to Frank, or I'm sorry, Pete, so he can tweet it out. They made a great, um, like Kobe Bryant logo, but that was like a, it was like a remix of the Superman logo that had like a K and a B, uh, instead of the S on the chest for Superman. And then like another one with a two, four, um, I still have the KB one. Like I took it as a souvenir. And uh, I'll send a I'll send a picture to uh, Pete because that's the one actually Dwight wanted to wear during the dunk contest. Like if you saw, he had like the two four and the red letters. Um, that was like other stuff that we had gotten from the place, but they actually hooked it up with this great logo that we unfortunately weren't able to use because DC Comics shot it down. Wow. Um, yeah, but I was like really I was like really proud of it, and I was I was sad that they couldn't uh, that Dwight wasn't able to use it. That is really cool, bro. That's a really That's cool story. I'm right so there. happy I brought up Dwight Howard. <laughs> yeah, for real. Thank you, Duff. That's fantastic. Definitely send me that picture. I'll tweet it out at Sport Plug NYC. That's that's a lit story right there. And that's crazy the behind the scenes because you know, if you think about Dwight Howard, yo, he's not out there with some uh some pins and needles like sewing together his little jersey thing, you know? He's like, Yeah, hey, you can make this, right? And then Duff's out there in Chicago, never been there before, Last driving <laughs> driving thirty minutes out of the city trying to figure it out, like, Oh my god, I gotta figure this out by Saturday. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, and the place is called Hildebrand's like on like Main Street in some like you know, like just classic like middle America suburb. This place called Hilda Brands, like old letters, old carpet, like wood paneling on the walls. It was like the same as the sporting goods store that I had grown up going to. And it, it was like, it, it was really cool. It was run by this old, this older lady named Debbie. It was, she was a very sweet lady. <laughs> Shout out Debbie. Yeah. Hell yeah. Shout, Shout out Debbie and, and Juan for the design. Juan Hell from yeah. yeah. Debbie and Juan, yo. Shout out y'all. For sure. For sure. That's lit. Did All you right. plug the podcast? Oh yeah, my bad. No free ads. Oh. No, no. It's like you didn't plug us to them. Been like, damn, you listen up. Yeah, we're gonna shout you out next week. Come on, uh, yeah. Come on, I, now, I don't think they were our age demographic. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Dude, All right. We do as much as this conversation is very fun and and very interesting. We do need to get to the actual conversations about this last stretch of the NBA season. 
So, quick recap here. Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, John Gustafi, and Frank Villani here on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Listen on Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud. Not Actually, no, not SoundCloud. On Anchor, on Spotify, heck SoundCloud, I guess now. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. And don't be bashful. Leave us a, a rating and review. Subscribe. And don't forget on to turn. Don't forget on to turn. Don't forget to turn on your notifications. That was a bad job speaking, Pete. But now we do better. Speaking about actual basketball, so Sorry, podcasts aren't an audio format. <laughs> to to just kind of preface how we're going to do this here, we wanted to not get too granular about all the teams in the leagues here because it's important right now to talk about the contenders, the teams that actually matter, the teams that once the playoff starts, we can expect to win a round or two rounds, three rounds, obviously a championship. Those are the teams we're going to focus on here. So unfortunately. The guys on the outskirts like the Blazers and the Grizzlies, they're probably not going to be in this conversation. But if we go in the East, like we'll probably cut it off around the Pacers as well. But those top six in each conference, how important is it to each of them, this this last 25 or so games, how important is seeding? How important is health? Because every team situation is just a little bit different here, and that's what we're here to discuss and uh, what we're going to expect moving forward throughout the rest of the season. So let's start off. Let's start off one place in particular that can cover two teams. I want to start off in L.A. Because the two teams kind of had different runs to this point, right? The Clippers are basically treading water and just trying to get healthy. They're not putting too much stress on Kawhi or Paul George. They want to get to the playoffs with a bill of health, clean bill of health and with their team just getting enough games together to where they can be comfortable. The Lakers have really been smooth sailing this season. LeBron's been healthy. Anthony Davis has been healthy. They're trying to figure out their bench and get some depth, and there's been some moves made. But in L.A., is it fair to say, Duff or Frank, whoever wants to jump in first, I don't really care, is it fair to say that in the West, it's the L.A. teams and everybody else? Yes. Did you both no, say yes? I said yes. Yeah. All right, Frank, what do but you got? I said it first. Yeah, that's right, Duff. Um, All right, talk yourself out of Russell Westbrook. Well, no, that's actually, if we were just going to have, like, we had to pick, like, one or two teams, I was going to pick Rockets and, and Heat, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we're talking L.A., baby. Uh, the Clippers have been making some moves that I feel like are directly in spite of the Lakers trying to add depth, like you mentioned, uh, that they're seeking, kind of. Like, I think they just signed Reggie Jackson after he got bought out by the Pistons. And I feel like they don't really need too much, you know, ball handler, primary ball handler help. So I feel like that's really a direct move to keep him out of the Laker locker room, which is like, to me, it's actually kind of surprising because I expect them to coast water and load management for the most part. Paul George coming off of shoulder injury slash surgery. I'm not really sure entirely what's going on with him either, but um yeah, I kind of expected that as much. The Lakers being like so lights out is more surprising to me, I guess I would say. But uh, I still have no concerns for either team. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like whenever we talk about LeBron in a playoff series, so he's like, who's going to guard him? And it, the answer is always like, oh, this one wing who's having a good year right right like that one year Damari Carroll and the Hawks had a really good year people thought like Damari Carroll myself included was going to be like a a thorn in LeBron's side but like 
at this point, I kind of figure no one man can do it. But the Clippers have like two guys that they can just rotate on them. Probably have a decent chance, better chance than most people. So I'm going to still rock with the Clippers at this point, even though they've been treading water. And I feel like I, I agree that there was there the Reggie Jackson pickup is just basically stockpiling assets. Like that, that's a fail safe in case someone gets hurt. Like that's breaking case of emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, you look look at their roster. I, he's not going to play over Patrick because they don't like Reggie Jackson. Just kind of gives you like uh, scoring from the perimeter, right? So Lou Williams is already better than him at that. Landry Shemmett is a better spot up shooter. Patrick Beverly is a better defender and has been really good at spot up shooting this year, especially in the corners. So even even his weakness, the offensive end, he's like a better version. He he's a more balanced, I won't say better, a, a little more balanced version of Tony Allen, where Tony Allen was like all defense, zero mm. uh, all, zero offense. Now Patrick Beverly is like it's like an eighty twenty split. You know what I mean? And, yep. and it's he can spot up and hit threes, but that's really about it. And that's really all you need him to do if he's going to give you the type of effort and intensity on the defensive end and on and on the glass. So even as a small guard, um, I, I this basically gives the so what happened to the um, Warriors over the past few years is that you know they were at to come up when they were make on their way up there were strength in numbers and then on their way out, I want to say down, just out since they, um, they had sacrificed depth for getting Kevin Durant, which was absolutely the correct move. Uh, but then you see Kevin Durant gets hurt. Clay Thompson gets hurt. And then it's just Steph Curry, like half of Kevin Durant, half of Clay Thompson in like the finals. Like he's not, none of them are really a hundred percent there except for Steph. And they lose because they, you know, they rolled the dice. They're one, thing that we always said like you know the Warriors are going to win the finals unless they get injured and then that's what happened so yeah. now the Lakers are kind of in risk of having that happen like they traded away I wouldn't say like all their depth because those guys weren't really super productive for them at the time like they're doing they're all doing better now you know Josh Hart Brandon Ingram Lonzo Ball they're all doing better now than they were on the Lakers so like making that trade obviously makes a ton of like makes all the sense in the world especially you know the same thing about signing Kevin Durant sacrifice depth get the star but then you put yourself in that spot where you know one injury to LeBron one injury injury to Anthony Davis and then the season is shot whereas the Clippers can survive i would they could survive multiple guys getting injured i would say except for Kawhi Leonard um, and then honestly, the next most crucial player in terms of injury um, avoidance, I would say, is Montrez Harrell. He went what? because I don't, I don't trust. It's I don't think it's Paul George because I think Kawhi Leonard is a lot better than Paul George, and I think it's way more important to have to have Kawhi Leonard than Paul George. Like wait, if Kawhi wait, Leonard no, goes I, down, let me stop you there though, because there's also been a a conversation going on that I've heard in other podcasts, other other mediums about is Montrez Harrell good enough at being a center? Obviously, he's an extremely talented player who is a really good scorer, a great passer, uh, quality defender, you know, decent rebounder. But is he good enough to match up against the Lakers with the the bigness of Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard? Like, is he even going to be able to be the five in a Lakers series? For more than you know, twenty minutes a night, 
So that's why that's why I got pause when you said uh, Montrez Harrell is more important than Paul George because I think at that point, but do you, if, if do you Harrell, trust Mike him had, a lot more to play offense and defense than Zubac? Yeah, I guess like Zubac is kind of slow and he's all right. He's very very average. And do you think Marcus Morris is really going to put forth the effort to be like a small ball center? I think we no. talked about Marcus. Well, small ball center probably not, but we talked about Marcus Morris. And the Clippers, in theory, are going to get the best version of Marcus Morris because he's good for a six-month span. Every time he goes to a new team, six months, like, grace period, uh, all good, all happiness. He's going to try really hard, not going to cause any problems, not going to ball stop too much with Kawhi and Paul George. So I think you get the best Marcus Morris, but no, nah, he's not going to be able to match up AD or, or JaVale even, for that matter. It's called the honeymoon phase, by the way. Yeah, I would trust I would trust Marcus Morris. I think he would do a much better job of replacing Paul George than replacing Montrez Harrell. Fair enough, because he could he could put the ball in the hoop and he could shoot. That's 100%. really where I'm coming at this. That's from. a good point. So from their backup standpoint, Marcus Morris is a more serviceable backup to Paul George than whoever would be Montrez Harrell's backup: Patrick Patterson, Jermichael Green, Zubats. The same way I would trust Reggie Jackson to back up. Lou Williams more than I would trust trust anyone else to to back up Harrell. Like maybe maybe Zubac is is great. Maybe he would be awesome playing you know like thirty minutes a game. But I I haven't seen it, and I think that's a more crucial role than backing up uh, Lou Williams. That's a good point. Um, now let's flip it over to the Lakers for a second. So obviously LeBron and AD are the are you know they're the complete driving force behind the Lakers, their success, and in theory, what would be their championship winning season, right? But they can't do it alone. There's going to be somebody else. There's going to be other people who step up and make plays and do really cool things uh, throughout this run here. So when you think of the likes of Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Javale McGee, uh, Kuzma, Pope, Caruso, Rondo, Howard, there's a lot of names here, right? A lot of names, but where does the consistency come from? And where do those people uh, who do have to match up Lou Williams, who do have to match the scoring punch of Marcus Morris if he gets hot one game, on the Lakers roster, what names do you look at and say, I trust those guys, I expect them to make plays? Oddly enough, it's the older dudes for me. It's Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard. Uh, I know, I guess it's been like a while since they've been the productive players of the past that we got to love but uh the, the short little run we got to see with rondo in uh new orleans with ad and boogie when it was all going well was like very entertaining to watch and just dwight howard's experience of being there and his like renewed sense of being okay with not being the guy or even a guy at some points i just think that like greatly benefits team chemistry it's like so it's why a guy like jared dudley is valuable right like just know your worth play your role and those are older guys who are probably just hungrier for winning than a guy say like kuzma who kind of seems like like he's grasping for attention and other things of that nature i wouldn't want to rely on someone like that if that makes sense yeah yeah the the older guys, the the veteranness, the veteranness to to steal from uh, Paul Pierce, the veteranness of the Lakers is what you can really rely on. And even when you look at a guy like uh, Rondo, 
when going against the the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2012, like granted, this is you know eight years ago at this point, but he was like a top three player, top two, top three. Some would argue statistically the best uh, player in that series against the Miami Heat when he was on the Celtics, and that's that's like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo. Like that was a star-studded series, right? And and he was like easily a top three guy in that series. Granted, eight years ago, but he's he's someone who has like the playoff chops, and we saw it as recently as uh, what was it? Two was it last year or two years ago? With the, Two TN- years ago. with the TNT Bulls? No, no, no. With the well, TNT Bulls, obviously. But <laughs> with the when he was on the Pelicans. Right, right. Yeah. He actually did stir that drink very well for them. Yeah, two years ago. Like he really kind of and I, I think that could be really good synergy with, with Anthony Davis, like kind of running that back for the two of them. Like just because they were on the floor together, you like you're more comfortable than you realize with each other, especially in these high leverage situations. Um, but I actually think as long as everyone stays healthy the the top five or six players on the Lakers actually match up pretty decently defensively with the with the Clippers. So you have like LeBron James is going to have to guard someone. Like he's going to have to guard uh, Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. Like he's going to have to. He's capable of doing it if you if he locks in. Like athletically, he's obviously still there. Um, and sure. then Danny Green is going to have to guard the other one. Then if you go to like Lou Williams, Avery Bradley is probably going to have to guard him or Alex Caruso, whoever's on the floor at that point. And then Anthony Davis is fine with Harrell. And then if it's Patrick Beverly, um, you don't really have to worry about, you know, like you could stick, I don't know, Rondo, whatever other guard you think is going to make a jump shot like Alex Caruso, uh, I think could be really valuable X factor in that series because he's a guy who gives so much effort. Um, but then if, if the, if the Clippers kind of go like the big version of their small ball lineup and put out Marcus Morris instead of Patrick Beverly or instead of Lou Williams, then that's where you run into some matchup issues with the, with the Lakers. And like, as boring as this sounds in the NBA, in the playoffs, especially, it really comes down to matchups. And then teams are just trying to hunt your weakest link over the course of seven games. So if you think about the, you know, the Cavs and the, and the Warriors, like they played, they knew each other so well after the course of, you know, three, two and three and four straight finals. The Cavs were just consistently trying to hunt for a switch, get, get Steph Curry on LeBron, get Steph Curry on Kyrie Irving, you know, like really like J.R. Smith is setting pick and rolls because, and they're not, they're like shat, like really like phantom pick and rolls because they knew that the Warriors are just going to switch everything. So it was like the easiest way to get into that bad matchup where all of a sudden you have like 180 pound Steph Curry trying to guard 270 pound LeBron James. Like it's just not going to happen. That's actually what makes me nervous about Lou Williams. I think if he's on the court. Yeah. Like, right. But then if you put in Marcus Morris, that eliminates that. That, you know, right, 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 right. Like, every, like there's no great matchup for LeBron James. I, I mean, if there is one, it's Kawhi Leonard. But if you get the switch onto Marcus Morris instead of Lou Williams, then you're way more comfortable for sure now it's a good point i mean i hope that this is what actually is going to come into play now with seating and i talked about this in the preseason when we did our over under uh over under podcast i was i had a little bit backwards i thought the lakers would be the team who didn't care as much about the regular season wins and the seating and the clippers would actually you know be better off because they had more pieces already involved lou williams and trez harrell and their pick and roll and whatnot um but it seemed to be the opposite but my point in the beginning of the year was 
they have to really pay attention to seeding here because you don't want to see the Lakers or Clippers in the first round or the second round for that matter. And the way it could really pan out is if the Clippers end up in the four seed, like they could see the Lakers in round two. And I think the fans lose out because we all want that to be the conference finals. But for the Lakers and Clippers perspective, you don't want to see them that early either. You don't want to see each other that early. You'd much rather play the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Rockets, uh, or obviously, you know, the uh, the Thunder or the Mavericks for, for you know, argument's sake. So seeding becomes extraordinarily important. And that's why I want to segue to some of these other teams here because we, we just spent some time on both uh, L.A. teams. So if we open up to those other teams now, right now, right, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Rockets, let's just keep it there because I think the Thunder and the Mavs, for as good as they've been this year, we don't have quite the faith in those two teams to really elevate to a new level for playoff basketball, right? So, Frank, when I talk about those other teams, the Nuggets, Jazz, Rockets, who's the closest to the L.A. tier? Who's closest to championship contender tier in your eyes? To be completely honest, I don't think uh, any of them really stack up. I guess if I had to be the closest right now, it's like maybe the Rockets. But I think like moving forward and in future years, if that Nuggets team stays together and Michael Porter Jr. continues to progress, like I, I do think that there's still one guy away. I think he could be that guy. I don't think he is right now. But I did want to mention just a quick point about the Rockets. Um, I'm sure everybody who follows the NBA is aware that they've just like full on decided to commit to going small ball this year. They even traded Clint Capella and I'm not really even sure who else is there to play that real center role for them now at this point. And like, I'm just super intrigued by it for, for the second half of the season. I know I'll be watching rocket games because like, man, that's an interesting thing to, to do or 55 game 50 games through the season already just like, like you know what we're gonna do change everything absolutely i'm i'm so done watching the rockets you don't you don't I'm have kinda, you don't have any more intrigue like, now with this new well not new new style it's I do, not no, that no, different i have it's like a it's like a new strategy sort of but not like instead of instead of having like that instead of the fourth person watching james harden and russell west Instead of them being on the block or in the dunker spot, they're yeah, now the like on the three point line or in the corner. Yeah. Like, so it's I don't I don't consider it to be terribly different from a strategy standpoint. At least on the offensive end, on the defensive end, I don't know what they're going to have to do defensively. Like, there was a, a point in the um, in the, they might have to get like really creative with their defensive schemes. And sometimes NBA teams they do these things so quickly. It's the rotations are so unbelievably fast you don't even notice them. So like. On the on the when the Cavs were playing the Celtics, um, whenever the last 2018, so in the in the conference finals, like the the Celtics would do these really quick double switches where you know like someone would get switched on the LeBron like a Terry Rozier, and then like immediately like because of a dribble handoff, whatever it was, then LeBron posts him up. While the and then whoever is guarding the entry passer has to do a really good job of just like harassing the ball handler and trying to make the pass as difficult as like do a good job of trying to force like a soft lob into the into the post while the ball is released and it's and it's in the air. Terry Rozier and whoever the weak side wing, be it you know Jalen Brown, even Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, like whoever uh, Gordon Hayward wasn't or whoever it was like on the weak side wing. 
Marcus Morris, I think it was a lot of the time would switch. They would switch while the ball was in midair. So like in the span of three seconds, you would get this double switch from the Celtics defense. And then it, 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 it was a way to really kind of manipulate the manipulation from the offense. It was like, you think you, you think you're being like, um, you, you think you're setting up the defense to give you this easy bucket. And then all of a sudden it kind of like doesn't stymie LeBron James in the post necessarily, but it's like, takes him an extra think extra second to think about it. It makes him uncomfortable. And the Lakers are even trying to do this on defense now against the nuggets and that great game they played. Uh, when was that? Was that on Saturday night? Not this past Saturday, obviously, but the one before that against the Nuggets. Well, it really felt. Yeah, it was the game. one where um, it was the first game in LA after Kobe passed, right? And they actually got they got beat pretty good by the Nuggets. Is that the game you're talking about? No, no, no. I'm talking about the one that went to overtime in Denver, and then the Lakers uh, yeah, ended yeah, yeah, up yeah. winning. Yes, but they, like the Lakers were like, there's so much movement in in the Nuggets' offense sometimes when Jokic is like working in the high post and they're doing like some Georgetown Princeton like type offense. And then the Lakers end up trying to triple switch things. So I don't even like, I couldn't describe it even as well as I did with the Celtics things, but like you would see guys flying around the court and you, I didn't fully understand what was happening. And it was just like so much movement. They weren't very clean with it. And Jokic burned them a couple of times, but like, I noticed something weird was going on. I didn't quite understand it. Jeff Van Gunn did a great job of explaining it, but like, Doing that kind of stuff, the Rockets are going to have to, what, you know, saying all that, the Rockets are going to have to be really creative with what they're going to do on defense to make sure that their smaller guys like Daniel House or Austin Rivers or, or guys like that aren't getting pinned on the block by some big man. Like it's going to have to be PJ Tucker every time. It's going to have to be Robert Covington. It's going to have to even be James Harden. Like they're really going to have to do a good job of being great team defenders and consciously switching everything. Like that's what I'm excited to see about from the Rockets. In the playoffs here, yeah. You see, like it's James Harden than offense. Yeah, you see James Harden low key is like one of the most efficient post defenders this year. Yeah, dude. For the past like two years, I actually I yeah. had a conversation about that with my buddy Jake Asman on Twitter. He's actually based out of Houston, uh, national radio host, good friend of mine, and he obviously you know he's had a lot of Rockets games. He talks about them a good amount, and he was talking about the whole thing with Giannis calling out Harden specifically, like by name in that All Star game press right. conference. And uh, he was saying how they tried to attack James Harden on every play, which they did. But what they mistakenly did was attack him in the post. post. They kept giving it to Siakam or somebody else uh, in the post on James Harden when, like, that is the one part of defense he excels at. He's not just, like, he can hold his own in post defense. He's actually really good. He's one of the better post defenders in the league, even though he's a guard. So it was a, a bad calculation uh, by Giannis and Team Giannis, for that matter. Um, what is very interesting, and the one thing, though, about their small ball approach now, it helps Russell Westbrook more than James Harden, right? Because it seems like Russell Westbrook decided, like, all right, two threes a game is probably my number, right? Like, if I'm taking six, like, I better hit a couple. I'm, I better get hot. I better be feeling it. And he's just been attacking the rim like a madman, like the guy we all fell in love with back before we realized how inefficient he could be when he shoots too much. And that is perhaps the biggest win the Rockets got because Harden's going to do his thing or not do his thing. And it really doesn't matter who's around him or what's happening. He's either going to be making shots or not making shots. That That's just James Harden at this point, especially in the playoffs. But for Russell Westbrook to have that ability and space to just attack like a madman is going to be extremely key but will a team like the Lakers with Anthony Davis um, 
and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard be able to slow him down. Because, like, Rudy Gobert did not. They, no. they were putting Rudy Gobert on Russell Westbrook, and he was just going at his chest. Like, really, yeah, honestly, really impressive. Honestly, that's like a matchup nightmare for a guy like Rudy Gobert. Let's be real. Yeah, Russell for Westbrook, sure. Side to side and up and down movement is just on another plane. And he was just going but, through his but chest. But to your point. He moves, like, you're right, Frank. He moves so herky-jerky when he attacks the rim, and he hangs for so long good body control where like big men are so good at anticipating where the shot is going to come from with Russ. Mm. It's so much harder to do that. Yeah. Like blocking shots is mainly timing unless you're a freak athlete for the most part and you can catch the ball at any moment. But for a guy like Gobert, who he's really big, but he doesn't jump mega high, you know, he's all about timing and a guy like Russell Westbrook, like you said, who floats like that shit's tough. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do this. Let's do this here now. Let's because we got to get to the Eastern Conference here before uh, we start getting too too long. Um, we have the LA teams. I think we all believe when it comes down to the sixteen game season, we always talk about sixteen game teams versus eighty two game teams. We all seem to agree that we put the uh, Lakers and Clippers in their own tier, the highest tier, the sixteen game tier. But those other three teams, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Rockets. If you want to throw the Thunder or Mavericks in, go ahead. But uh, give me a quick ranking. Duff, you, you start first. Not a lot of uh, – you can go into some slight explanation here, but let's keep it quick. Um, give me a ranking for the other top-tier teams in the Western Conference on their chances to knock off one of the L.A. squads. I think the the Nuggets are right there with the Rockets in my mind. Like, that game against the Lakers was so, so tight, and that's like a team that they, they kind of always play each other tough. Um, and I think the Lakers have won twice in Denver now both pretty close games. Um, the thing with Denver is like, they just need to be consistent shooting the ball. Like you look at Jokic and he's the type of dude where they like, he's similar to Ben Simmons in the sense that like whoever is around him, like is going to like kind of really raise his ceiling. Like it, he's, he's such a team player and it's so, it's not really about one-on-one with him. Um, he, he loves to distribute the ball and get everyone involved. And when guys like Gary Harris are shooting 30% from the three-point line, he's not as effective because he can make a great pass, but if the shot doesn't go in, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I, I, I think the Nuggets are right there. If they can get hot, if they can get hot, they have a lot of depth and a lot of wings that they can throw at people in. Someone like Jokic, who is so versatile in initiating offense or finishing at the rim or even you know taking a, a few threes, particularly from the left wing, like that is a spot. Uh, similar like where LeBron loves to shoot. And I think the Thunder, like the only path they would have similar to the Jazz is like, you know, if the if, if they end up on the Lakers side of the bracket, they catch him in round two and, you know, like LeBron or AD isn't 100%, they could kind of like sneak their way past him and then end up like the Blazers last year where they get into the, the conference finals and then just get rolled by the Clippers. Um, yeah, or vice versa, kind of, right? Well, the, like I said before, the Clippers could withstand, right? Like injury against those teams. Like against those teams, I don't think they would need Kawhi. The Clippers are more ready to go into a battle without one of their two big guns, is what you're saying. For sure, for sure. And I think so, they could survive it against pretty much any other team in the West except the Lakers. My take on it is is, is pretty similar. I think the Nuggets. I'm going to give them the credit, and we talk always about how like young teams don't typically win in the playoffs, and that's just a thing that happens in the NBA. 
we get so excited about these young guns, these young teams, but they never quite figure it out in the playoffs. It's so hard to win when the game changes to that uh, slower pace, a little tighter, not as much um, spacing and tighter defense and all that stuff, obviously, right? But the Nuggets had their run last year where they actually had, they got their feet wet, finally, right? Like last year, as great as they were in the regular season, as fun as they were, as much of an MVP candidate as Jokic was and Murray had some really great games, we never really had full trust in them. And they always had these moments where it's like, really, really, guys? Like, you're better than that. Like, come on. But now, one year later, you expect that growth to be there. And that's why I give them the edge over the Rockets and the Jazz because uh, the Jazz have been stagnant. They've been kind of getting to the same point in the playoffs. And now adding Bogdanovich is really big for them. And maybe uh, Conley will will figure it out. But the Nuggets, I'm going to give them the edge because they're on their way up still when the Rockets have you know kind of hit their peak already. And now they're settling down to this this new thing, but still the same core of sorts. So I think the Nuggets, Rockets, Jazz in that order have the best chance to take off one of the LA teams. I think I'm I think much I would, to disagree with. I, nuggets, Nuggets and Rockets are pretty like they're they're yeah, both kind of tied at number up. three for me. Now I guess it just comes down to star power versus team power, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as currently constituted, we have Lakers one seed, Nuggets two, Clips three, Jazz four, Rockets five, Thunder six, Mavs seven, Memphis eight. Uh, seeds two through five are three and a half games uh, separated right now. So the Nuggets, uh, four games back of Lakers. Rockets, seven and a half games back of Lakers. Seeding is going to become very, very important because all of those teams want to make sure they're on the right side of the bracket, getting as many home games as possible. It's going to come down to the wire for seeding. And uh, that's why these next 25 games or so are going to be so damn exciting. Um, but let's flip over to the to the Eastern Conference because we got to get over there, talk about some of those squads. Now, similarly to where there is a clear tier in the West, there is a clear tier in the East, uh, except for that tier only is one team in the Eastern Conference. That's obviously the Milwaukee Bucks, who are on pace for 70 wins, people. 70. That's not a drill. That is legitimate. And they are they lost two of their last 10, which is sounds like a, a great thing. But for them, it's actually not their best stretch they're of the slumping. season. Yeah, they're slumping. They're slumping. They're slumping. Uh, so they're putting holes around the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) They're 46 and eight. They are a tier of their own in the Eastern conference. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Now that doesn't mean there's no qualms to be had with the bucks. And I will get to that. I have a point uh, that I've made before. It's a little bit counterintuitive, um, but I'll get to it, but let's just set it up before we talk about the bucks in depth. Is there a second, a clear second tier? Or is that second tier just lumped together everybody else? Like the Bucks and everybody else. Is that fair? Or is there a tier in between, say, the Bucks and the Pacers, right? Uh, I would say there's a tier in between. And I think it's also still just um, one team. I mean, I think a lot of people would throw the Celtics there. I'm personally not the biggest fan of the Celtics, especially like... I know Jason Tatum's been like as hot as the sun before All Star break, but to Duff's point about consistency before in the playoffs, I think it just matters so much. Um, I would put the Sixers in a standalone, kind of like wild card tier right under the Bucks, and then it's everybody else. But I think that this final stretch, a couple of those teams can crawl out of there and put themselves in that wild card tier. Um, specifically, I think the Heat 
the Heat have just kind of been like this unknown all year and they're outperforming any expectation people had for the most part. And they still are uh, from an individual player basis to overall team basis. And I think if they close the year out strong, like they could be one of those teams that people will just be like, you don't want to face the heat though. And, and you don't want to go into Miami. That. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, something to note. All right. All right. So, uh, Duff, do you, would you have a separate, uh, situation for those tiers before we get into the bucks? Bucks number one. Then I have, I, I I'm really partial to just kind of putting the Raptors, Celtics, heat and Sixers into one group as, as tier two. And then everyone else is tier three. Um, but something to keep an eye on as we move forward. And I pointed this out a few years ago. I think it was, uh, it was two seasons ago. The Sixers had a really easy schedule coming up and they were like the six seed. They ended up being the three seed. And I was, I was, I said to people, don't be surprised if they get to 50 wins and they kind of had a record like they do now, maybe a little worse, maybe a little better, but they ended the season on like a 16 game winning streak because they were just rolling into the weakest part of their schedule. They are actually tied or no, they have the second, they have the second easiest schedule going into these last 27 games. Yes. Right behind the Pelicans. Mm -hmm. So they have the easiest schedule in the East coming up. And then, you know, Miami has like the fourth easiest and Boston has like, they, they're, they're like towards, towards the harder end of the spectrum. And so is Toronto. Like, don't be surprised if the Sixers make a real push here to get to towards the three seed. Now, like I, I would almost rather them drop to six as, as a fan, I would almost rather them drop to six than get to four because then they would have to not face the bucks until the conference finals. Um, but you know, it, I, I think it is like super valuable to go into the playoffs feeling good about yourself. So I, I'm looking for the Sixers personally to make a big push here. Going yeah. into the end of the season and and easily getting fifty wins oh, again, a hundred percent. I agree, and it comes down to regression to the mean. They have been so bad on the road, nine and nineteen to this point on the road. Something God, has to give. So there has to be some sort of regression to the mean because they're too talented to be that bad on the road. Now, granted, they've been so good at home to keep them in a top six I seed think right now. Court thing is real though. Oh sure, it very well could be, but I I fully like this expect is, this is like ninety to ninety five percent real. Uh, you know what I, I mean? Like, but like I fully, a, the regression fully isn't expect... going to be much. No, the, on home court. the ro- I'm talking about the road regression to the right, mean. Right, right, right. I fully like expect home, them like, to figure it out. On anyone the road. who said like the home thing, oh, you're not going to be as good at home. I think that's real. I think they really have like the best home court advantage in the league. Yeah, right now it's better than the Bucks. Right now they're better than the Bucks at home, which is crazy that they've been that bad on the road. But let me let me talk about the Bucks for a second here, because this is a take that I that I can have come on with the Bucks maybe two or three times, once last season and again once before this season. And, and it's kind of counterintuitive because point differential has been one of the better indicators in the NBA over the history since it's been tracked um, to who's gonna you know play well in the playoffs and who's going to dominate in the playoffs like they did in the regular season. And the Bucks are on an absolute historic pace for point differential. It is uh, currently, I think, 12.5 points or 12.1 points differential. They win by double digits seemingly every single game, right? But what I worry about with the Bucks is that they don't have a load of experience playing tight games 
in playoff-like atmospheres. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have big games. It just means that they tend to win by 10. And I don't know if that's the best thing possible for a team who we know can just roll in the regular season, who we know can just put up crazy stats and dominate for 82 games. They need to be tested when it tightens up and Giannis needs to make a play down the stretch where defense is all over him and he needs to pull a jump shot from 18 feet. Is he ready to do that? Is he ready to make uh, the the right pass? And is Eric Bledsoe ready to hit open threes when it's no. important? Like, who, who do we trust in the playoffs? In the regular season, George Hill's been freaking ridiculous this year. Bledsoe's been really good. Chris Middleton's shooting 50-40-90 right now. We know what Brooke Lopez can do in the post and from outside, even though he's been a little cold this year. But, like, is it fair for me to be worried that they're almost going through this regular season with too much ease and they don't have the late game, super tight sequence experience that other teams like the Sixers do because the Sixers seem to play tight over and over again. Not that the Sixers are that good in those situations either, but do I sound crazy when I'm using one of the best point differentials in history as a demerit against the Bucks? Yes. I, I think yes and no, <laughs> though. Word? Yes. It, he went wood. But also no, because last Wait, year, that's it. <laughs> That series with the Raptors seemed like it was going swimmingly up until they lost that game, right? Weren't they up 2-0? Or... Yeah, they were up 2-0. Yeah, they were up 2-0. And then, like, a, was it double overtime? It was, yeah, I think it was double overtime and they lost. And for the rest of the series, it's just like the life was sucked out of them. Like, it wasn't the same Bucks team we saw roll through round one. So I, I think you're, you're feeling... Is based on merit. I don't. Maybe not your reasoning for it, but uh, I definitely see some things that can lend credence to being worried about the Bucks. Yeah, I guess it's fair. I mean, just looking at their playoff schedule from last year, uh, they lost game one. To, I'm not even gonna count the Pistons series. They rolled 4-0, obviously, but they lost game one to the Celtics. They got absolutely smoked. We thought, oh, oh wow, the Celtics. They're figuring it out. They got it. Nope. Bucks won by 21, won by seven, won by 12, and then won by 25. And then that series was over, right? Those aren't close games. They're not getting any of that like late last minute heroics that they need to happen. Even in the Warriors' most dominant seasons, there are moments when Kevin Durant hit huge shots. Maybe they weren't seven seconds left uh, to win game four of the finals, but it was a minute left and it was still a four-point game. And there's big shots to be made or big runs to go on when the game's tight. And you just don't 16 Oklahoma city about 1130 PM Eastern time. The, the basketball call of the decade, the clay, the clay Thompson game. Is that what you're talking about? Oh wait, no, no, no. The Steph Curry, 37. Oh yes. Half court. Bang. Bang. The double bang. So even the, the greatest teams that we've seen in the recent history, if they're the most dominant teams, like the warriors, 73 win teams, Having that adversity and understanding how to play in those tight moments when it's a three-point game, a five-point game, is extremely important. And it seems stupid for me to say. And every time I say it out loud, I feel like it's dumb. But go with your gut. Last year, go with your gut. Last year it deemed true. Let's be <laughs> honest. Last year it deemed to be true. And I think if Giannis and the Bucks a don't make the finals or b come up really small in the finals, the hate that doesn't exist for Giannis right now starts to come out. Can he win in the playoffs? Can he get to his spots in the playoffs? Those things have not been asked yet. 
He gets the benefit of the doubt. He's the shiny new toy still for now. But like it happened with Steph, like it happened even with Harden to a little bit, like it happened with LeBron, like there comes a point where it's not that cute anymore. Like it happened with Joel Embiid right now. It's happening currently with Joel Embiid. People are starting to be like, dude, all right, chill with the social media stupidity. Like there's going to be a point with Giannis, if he doesn't figure it out this year, doesn't make a finals, doesn't come up big in the finals, it's going to come down and he's going to catch the hate that he hasn't gotten an ounce of to this point in his career. I think that part is true. I think if it doesn't work out for him and then the season ends in anything but a championship, people are going to be talking about that. Unless it's like some insanely close game seven. Right, of course. Down to the wire. He balls out, like, drops 40. Yeah. Yeah, or just like a la Kawhi, like hitting a buzzer beater or something like that, where that then, you know, maybe the, people don't kill him as much. But I, I don't worry about that so much with the Bucks because they they know their identity so so well and i think you mentioned it before chris middleton is like a 50 40 90 guy this year and i i just see him being way more of a factor in the playoffs like not just against the celtics who he just turns into like like a monsters player like whenever he plays the celtics <laughs> for miss. some reason but i i think that's real for him like and i don't think the bledsoe thing is going to hurt them as much because because if if he's not playing well, like just play Wes Matthews. Like he'll hit spot up threes, and he'll play like decent defense. Just just do that. Like I, I'm not worried about Eric Bledsoe as much because Giannis is putting up his like th- this is like re- a really like your strength is your strength moment for for the Bucks. Like really just lean into it. Like Giannis is playing at such an unbelievable clip, and he's only playing like 28 minutes a game. I think he's having up, one of the most efficient seasons of he's all. He's putting time. up like thirty points, like thirty points and twelve rebounds in twenty-eight minutes. Yeah, I think it's twenty-nine minutes. I think his PER right now, if the season ended today, it don't quote me on this, but I think it would be the highest for a single season. I think I've heard. Yeah, it's like top. It's like top three. It's like the, maybe there's like a Wilt season, which is like you know just dumb numbers and. A Michael Jordan season in there somewhere. Yeah, right. That's Which is that crazy. I've also heard similar things. Right. So it's act, no, it's 30, actually it's, the, it's currently the highest. It's the yeah, highest. It is really high. literally okay. the high. I think it's thirty-two right now, which is yeah. like it's they a, don't. It, I don't think it has like a set scale of what it is too. But like every time I see it, it's usually on a scale of like zero to thirty-two. Yeah. So you could, I, why when we found out like again, this isn't me trying to take a shot, but that for the first game Melo played, he yeah. had a negative per we were like that's and possible I, I literally didn't think it was possible like i thought the uh, scale was one to 30 Melo's just fucking breaking records out here <laughs> um, uh, but Giannis in 30 minutes 30 points he's almost 31 minutes so he's averaging almost a point a minute like he's like 0.9 points per minute 13 and a half rebounds six assists a steal and a block like his per 36 which is like generally what your star player is going to play 36 minutes He's averaging 35 points, seal on a block, seven assists, and 16 rebounds. So in absurd. the playoffs, absurd. Like in the playoffs, people's numbers usually take a step back, right? Unless you're having just an absolute monster playoffs. In the playoffs, he's going to be playing 36 minutes or more because he's fresh from, from only playing 30 minutes a game this season. I don't think his numbers are going to take a step back at all. Like if he maintains it can go a 30 up. and 13, if he, I'm just saying, if he just maintains a yeah. 30 and 13, with six assists, like those are historically, 
like those are Shaq numbers in the yeah. playoffs. Plus assists. Yeah, it's incredible. Plus it really assists. Is. Uh, last point on the Bucks because we got to talk about other teams before we go. Um, Budenhoser, we love him. He's a coach of the year guy. He has a history now as well as not getting it done in the playoffs. And his system that works those all year. Ones, those are tough to hold against him, though. And and last year. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying the Hawks ones are tough because it's I'm like just you're saying. rolling out Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, Al Horford, Demari Carroll. All, yeah, all, all of his best players were the third best player on the LeBron team. For sure. He just had like a bunch of like B to B plus players. I'm just saying. If it doesn't happen again this year, the Budenhoser noise is loud. The Giannis noise gets louder. And, Gian- and things get uncomfortable. And Giannis, yeah, and Giannis's free agency starts getting chatted about even more. I agree. And, and these things I are something to that. look out for. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it this very well. It very, very well could. Because we recognize yes. that we have been hoodwinked. You know? <laughs> You're just chasing the content. That's facts. It's facts. I respect it's right. that. All right, so let's let's talk about Let's, I keep hitting other buttons here. I'm making noise. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about some of the other teams similarly to how we did um, with the Western Conference. And I, I do just kind of want to start with the Raptors. They're 40 and 15. They are incredibly good this year. They've been so, so steady, even with numerous injuries. Step up, next guy mentality, the whole nine. Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Serge Ibaka, Marcus All has been hurt. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This team is full of professionals. They are the defending champions, even minus Kawhi. We know that's obviously not the the most accurate statement because Kawhi is not there anymore. But why does this team not have strong playoff expectations? Tell me why they they should not be looked at as locks to get to the conference finals as a two seed. Pascal Siakam. Okay. I was just gonna say Pascal Siakam is like a slightly more finesse version of Giannis right now. He's got a little bit better shot. Well, he's got a much better shot. Um, but he is not as physically dominant as as Giannis. Like, and that's you you, at a certain point you kind of just go as far as your your best player can carry you. This might be the best Raptors regular season of all time. They might get to sixty wins. I think fifty nine is the previous record from two years ago. They had 58 last year with Kawhi, him sitting out all those games. I just don't see, like, like to me, Pascal Siakam is basically where Giannis was two years ago. And Giannis is still, like, two years ahead of Siakam's timeline. Like, I really think that matchup is really kind of makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I know Kyle Lowry did it last year, but I still don't. 100% believe in a team where their number two guy is um, Kyle Larry in the playoffs. Just like overall playoff resume is super underwhelming. And it took, you know, one of the greatest playoff stretches we've probably ever witnessed from an individual player to get the Raptors to where they were on top of, you know, the luck of Kevin Durant not playing and Clay Thompson not playing in the finals. So. I will, you know, easily admit that they have way overshot my expectations of what they were going to be this year without Kawhi, but I didn't feel like the ceiling really ever moved, or rather the floor ever really moved. It was just the ceiling that moved with Kawhi leaving. That's a a good way to put it. Yeah, that that is very well said, Frank, actually, yeah. 
Yeah, I said it backwards at first, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> the ceiling is the roof, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I I just think it's important to look at them and take them serious because the way they come out on a night-to-night basis, the way they play the best teams in the league, especially the way they play, you know, at home in Toronto, it seems like they're always in it. They seem like a team who have that ability to be down 10 and make a run because they have enough shooters. They play they play as together as any team in the league right now. If and not, they play with 100% effort all like, the, all the, the time. opening tip to the final. 100%. And their versatility of defenders with OG and Anobi, even a guy like Terrence Davis, obviously uh, Pascal and Serge and all, all these guys, they have a very complete roster right now. They are lacking the true number two scoring punch. Like, could Fred Van Fleet shoot 70% this playoffs? Like, sure, maybe he did it for a good portion last year. But, like, you know, it's got to be Fred Van Vliet shoots 70% during the playoffs again this year, I will legally change my name to Fred Van Villani. <laughs> you can book it right there. <laughs> wow. Let's go Raptors. Bro. I'm officially – I'm down with the Raptors. That's amazing. <laughs> all in. That's so good. I, That's I don't so think good. it's impossible. Like, I, not the percentage thing, but the Raptors <laughs> beating the Bucks. Like, I, I really think in the, in the tier two, like Raptors, Celtics, Heat, Sixers – any one of those teams can make it to the finals because you see, you know, players get banged up. And if Giannis is hundred percent healthy, but then Middleton like tweaks his ankle, then that changes everything. That changes yeah. everything for the bucks. Because right. they have a lot of guys who are really good at like specific things in terms of like Bledsoe's perimeter defense. Whereas, you know, like, or, 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 um, Rolo is just kind of like defense and rebounding. Then Brooke Lopez is just like shooting and rebounding. And like a little bit of rim protection, Wesley Matthews, just spot up shooter, you know, like that. That's kind of what those guys are, and you can't expect them to really kind of raise raise up their games if like Middleton isn't able to do as much or Giannis isn't able to do as much. If Mid- whereas like what I was gonna say, if Middleton goes down, I want ten post touches a game for Brooke Lopez. Dude, if he doesn't just put up a forty. 40- 40-point performance. He was a tremendous post-scorer on the Nets. Dude, he's been really good this year. He's yeah. He hasn't been shooting from three very well. He's been killing people I know. in the post. I know, but that like that's what that's when he's most valuable to me. Oh, for sure. All right, wait. Let's let's talk about some more things because I don't want to get too long here, right? So, yeah. first off, it's a little bit crazy to think this and say it out loud, but uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both have a good amount more, actually a lot more playoff experience than Kemba Walker. Does that scare you if yeah. you're a Boston fan? That absolutely not. Your your guy, no. the guy you just brought in, Kemba Walker, has minimal no. playoff experience do and is small. You gotta remember his college, his college Indeed. experience. Like that matters. I don't care about that. I don't care. No, no come on, matter. that's he big moments. All right, Mello. What about Mello, guy? He was comeback Kemba. What bro. about Mello, guy? He was lit in college. All right, it doesn't matter. He went to Syracuse. Yeah. Jim Beheim different pants. It's totally different. It was it was no, different. It's because and Kemba why. hit. Like no no here's why here's why I'm because Carmelo was like the number one hands down best player in college basketball that year. He you know went to Syracuse like a blue blood program. Not to say UConn wasn't, but he he really just he kind of had everything working in his not in his favor, but like he had the best possible situation. Kemba Walker and he was and he was like a six seven six eight like versatile wing like wing post-up player like he could do he could do anything 
on offense. Kemba is like he's like six foot, maybe like 180 pounds, maybe like that's a dude I saw up close and personal when I was in Charlotte last year. He is so like he's so average skinny, size. average size. Like he walked past you on the street, you wouldn't think nothing about it, and he still put the team on it. Like UConn wasn't going to the playoffs, or they weren't going to the tournament, and if, if they didn't win the Big East tournament, like and they weren't going to go. That guy tip. fall. He beat the guy on pitfall, hit the big game winner in the garden, and yeah. then he goes and he makes this unbelievable run, like a la NC State when in the Jim Jimmy V, like in the Jimmy V run in the eighties, like that team wasn't going to go to the playoff or to the tournament. Then all of a sudden they win the ACC tournament and then they just have this momentum and they roll. Like he is someone who is, if he gains momentum, like he's, I don't think he's going to be uncomfortable in the moment because no. he, he's not going to have it, like the eyes aren't going to be, especially in the first round. Like right now they're going to be matched up against the Pacers. Like, I don't think that's going to be a series where like to, to me, the Celtics are heavily favored in that series. And it's like a situation in which, if he doesn't play his best, they'll still be able to survive and advance against that team where he can kind of get his feet wet and just really kind of like get his shit together before he really has to turn it up against a team like the Raptors. That's why I don't worry about him because he's, yeah. he's already done yeah. it. He does it. It's on not, a, so on, not on the, the college scale, not it's the NBA so scale, but like, same. To me, and I mean, it was now, your point's good about Melo for sure. But like, and yo, it like it's the best it's argument you could give against. Like and it was we one saying, game but... winner go home for like for like a month and a half in college. Like yeah. Kyle Guy was sick last year in college and was making huge shots. Don't compare. No, don't compare. I'm just saying, bro. The college game is so don't different. Come on, like that's I not mean, even. But like, but like, like a clutch Kyle shot. Guy to like, Walker and, and and Carmelo Anthony. Who who do you want taking a game winning three, bro? Kyle Guy or the next statistically best shooter from three? The I Nick, think I'm taking Kyle Guy. No, the next guy, the guy who's a real NBA player right now. But uh, the, the, besides <laughs> the point, besides the point, I think there is reason to be to be just like to be a little bit worried about Kemba. I mean, he looked overwhelmed as hell in the All Star game at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. But that's besides the point. Uh, if you match up with the Pacers and like Oladipo is like, "Word, I'm taking him," or Brogdon's like, "I'm taking Kemba," he could get shut down. Sabonis and and Miles Turner are gonna give him fits if he's not getting good lanes. Like he's small, he's not a physically dominant player. I think there's a, a path here where he doesn't look super comfortable in the playoffs. That's all I'm saying. The other guys on the Celtics have way more experience in the playoffs than him. And Jason Tatum's like 22, if that. Like uh, that's all I'm saying. I would be so offended right now by what you just said. If you're who? <laughs> I said if I wasn't six foot three, I'd be so offended by what you just said. <laughs> he's small. Thank God, I'm, thank God, I'm tall as fuck. I think he's gonna. He he's a dude who's always had a chip on his shoulder. He's gonna be way, way more amped up to get into this situation and prove himself. He's a northeast guy. You know he's tough, baby. He's tough, yeah. and in, in his eleven, guy. You're go in his guy? eleven career playoff games, he's proven great things. What, what are his stats in his 11 career, career playoff games? Um, his stats are 21. Kemba's been in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like 21, yeah, 21 points. And I, still, and I still felt so comfortable about it. 21 points, five, uh, four and a half assists. You know, de- okay shooting. Less than 40% from the field. 38% from three. 
Yeah, that's not it's not it's not terrible. It's not terrible. And that's on a, that's on a team with no other option. Yeah, it's a team. For sure. That's a team where his second best option was a guy he actually was the second best option in UConn as well, uh, Jeremy Lamb, or Nick Batum, or Michael yeah. Kip Gilchrist. Like no, Nick Batum, by the way, does not even play. Does yeah. not even play. Anymore. It was Al Jefferson. Al Jefferson was the guy who did. Exactly. Oh, shit. He's a stud. He's a stud. Forgot about it. Yeah, you remember? You know what I remember about Al Jefferson? Never missed a post move. He's got a really big bed. <laughs> what? <laughs> he went. Go what? look it up. Go look up Al Jefferson's bed. It's probably the biggest one in the world. I will. All right. Well, we're getting pretty long-winded here. We're, we're going long. It's okay. There's a lot to talk about. There's actually been a very good podcast, in my humble opinion. Um, but is there any other teams? I We talk about the Sixers a let's lot. Quickly, let's quickly do the Heat. Let's, let's do the Heat. Let's do the heat. I'm with that. I'm with that, too. I just want to say, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler kind of just, like, that is a dude who has, some, has felt like he's had something to prove for, like, the last three years now, and I feel like he's on the team that he can really play to his full potential. And I wish they had gotten Gallinari, but they got Andre Iguodala, which I don't think makes their team worse at all. Because um, Justice Winslow wasn't really doing much for them. He's been hurt. He hasn't been in and out of the lineup, and he hasn't. He, he his time there was basically kind of done. He wasn't. He didn't keep up with their with the rest of their players, like the Bam Adebayo's and uh, and 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 Kendrick Nunn's, surprisingly enough. Um, but I think they are a team who like they believe. Like it's they're dangerous because they believe that they're just as good as everyone else and they're not going to give an inch. They're not going to take shit from anyone and they're really going to be nasty about it come playoff time. So that like, I'm excited to see them in the playoffs for that, just to see what kind of edge they have. And that's a team I don't want to play in round one. Like if I'm the Sixers, I I don't want to play them in round one. Yeah. Because on like, on like the, uh, the edge factor of like, who's going to have the bigger chip on their shoulder, who's going to have more swag, more confidence, you know, it's going to be Jimmy's heat. He's going to be eating up Joel Embiid from a mental standpoint. They're like sharks, man. Like if one weakness, a sniff of blood in the water, like they're going to be all over it. Sniffing it out. Oh, yeah. But I love that you made the point about Jimmy Butler specifically. I feel like this year is like 2020 is is the year of Jimmy Butler. This is the vindication run. Like it ended weird in Chicago. It ended weird in Minnesota. It ended weird in Philadelphia. And, like, everybody just started to draw the conclusion, like, hmm, what's the constant here? Oh, the constant's Jimmy Butler. Like, maybe Jimmy Butler is just a sociopath, or maybe Jimmy Butler is just a problem in the locker room. And then you get some time to digest all the information, you kind of just look at it, and you're like, you know, that Jimmy Butler guy, I think he was right. I think he was right about every single place he burned to the ground. And um, did he handle it the right way? Probably not, but he was probably right. He not was right. Yeah, it's a good point. He was right. It's it's like it's like uh, the first guy who said their world wasn't flat. They or yeah, the first guy that said the world wasn't flat. They like put him in house arrest and castrated him. And you know, like fifty <laughs> years later, they're all looking back like, yeah, that guy was pretty fucking smart. That was probably <laughs> not the right thing to do. And, uh, Everywhere point. Jimmy Butler goes, his team the team gets better. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like uh, I hate to mention other podcasts when we do this one, but I listen to part of my take uh, almost every episode. They had um, UFC fighter Jorge Masvidal on, and they were asking him like, "What's it like to knock people out?" And he's like, "He's like, you know, I I I call it the shadow realm." And he's like, "Lately, 
when I've been putting people into the shadow realm, they've been coming back better than when they than when they came in, you know? And he referenced like the last two fighters that he knocked out after he knocked them out were ranked higher in like, you know, overall fighter standings than they were before. And that's that's Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler sends teams to the shadow realm. And they come back a little bit better. Look at the Bulls. Look at Minnesota. The Sixers seem to have taken a step back this year. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, and like whatever team he goes to next, like he, I, I would say he is the one who keeps getting knocked out, but then returning stronger. <laughs> right, right. He's knocking himself out and then coming back stronger. <laughs> it's true. No, 100%. Like, yo, it's crazy. Like the Heat. Heat culture is finally a real thing. I went on a rant with you, Duff, right? That was with you about Pat Riley and the Heat yeah, culture yeah. and how it's overrated. No, no, no. That was, well, it was it, the thing we were saying overrated specifically was like him as the a trait. Uh, trading. Right, 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 right. Like there, there isn't this overwhelming amount of general manager moves that Pat Riley has pulled with the Heat. Obviously, the LeBron thing is like its own separate thing. But I was just like, why do we give them so much credit? Like they also have made really bad moves, and they also have had underwhelming seasons and had to just make the playoffs by the skin of their teeth because they went thirty and ten in the final stretch. Like you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now you look at the Heat, and like this is actually what we thought of the Heat for the past like ten years, or or since LeBron left, really, right? This is what we thought of them this entire time. This impressive, team-oriented, hardworking, in-shape MFers who are going to shut you up and shove it down your throat. And, like, that's finally what we get with the Heat. And it a lot goes to Jimmy Butler, and he deserves a lot of that credit. And so does Bam Adebayo, and so does Eric Spolstra. But Jimmy is stirring that pot, leading scorer, leading assist man, and heart and soul of a really good team. One thing I want to say about the Sixers, because I just wanted to, we talked about them a little earlier, just to wrap it up and just complete the list of, of teams in that tier two. They, I mentioned they have the second easiest schedule coming up. They have 27 games remaining. 20 of those games are against opponents with an under 500 record currently. 20 of the 27 are under, or are against teams with an under 500. So, I, I think they just moved Horford to the bench. They put Maz in the starting lineup. They're going, you know, slightly smaller. They're slightly smaller lineup. It's it's really more of like a normal lineup than their super big one that they were rolling out with Simmons, Embiid, and Horford, um, where there just really wasn't enough space on the court for anyone. Now with Maz, and he's been playing like extremely well. He's had a couple 30-point games um, since he slid into this role. I think this is a perfect time for them to experiment with stuff like that and, and really try to figure out how they're going to maximize Ben and Joel and all the pieces around them. And kind of Horford might have to slide back as sort of a breaking case of emergency here and, and be more about a defensive floor general role against teams like, you know, against these playoff teams, specifically the Bucks if, if they get there. For sure. For sure. I just want to throw that out there because it was an interesting thing, like to have someone like uh Does that count as a Horford final slide the bench? Maybe. Nah, it doesn't. We'll do last words. We'll do last words. It, it, it's it's gonna be really fun. I'm very excited. This podcast is gonna be released on Thursday, the day the NBA is back with all their games, uh, which is fantastic. We're very pumped about that. Um because there's so many things that could happen and a lot of maneuvers in the seating and all this stuff. Uh, is bound to happen now. So very, very good stuff to come in the NBA and on this podcast. 
Sports Blog New York Podcast, NBA Outsiders, Pete Kennedy, John Gustafi, Frank Villani. So this brings us to it. We've been going for uh, a little bit of time here now. So let's wrap it up. So, Frank, I'll go to you first. Any last words for the podcast? Mm, you know I got some last words. Uh, I'm going to shout out Steve Mills on his way out. Hey. For one of the worst asset acquisitions in NBA history, uh, <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr., um, he's poised to become one of, if not the only player. Again, I, I read these quotes and I can only semi correctly, uh, regurgitate them. He's either the only player or players in NBA history who's gonna finish the season with a total field goal percentage under 35%, three point percentage under 30%, and free throw percentage, uh, at 50 or lower. Um, wow. So you shout out Steve Mills. Thanks for that phenomenal asset in that cap clearing trade, which netted us Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, <laughs> Kyrie Irving, and everybody else under Sun. Really appreciate it. Really upset you're gone. It's the anti 50 40 90 club. <laughs> the anti 50 40 90. I don't even know what the fuck you call that. <laughs> Pardon Shit. my French, but that is so <laughs> hideously awful. Like, just put the basketball down and go hang out with J. Cole. I know he's your buddy. Like, just go smoke weed and listen to music, bro. Uh, who's please. that guy in first take? Who's, who's that Steve guy? Stout. Just be Steve Mills, boy. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Steve Stout. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steve uh, Stout, bro. Yeah. All right, Duff, any last words? Yeah. Uh, NBA. Just uh, do me a favor, and I need you to just pull out the flex machine and just start flexing the shit out of all the Golden State national TV games that are coming up. Golden State is 27 games left. Now, we talked about this before. The uh, I, w- I wish we didn't, but it would have been a fun guessing game. Golden State has uh, 27 games left. Okay, America, guess how many of those are national TV games? I'll give you a couple seconds. Drum roll, That's right. Please. That's right. 12. 12 of those games are going to be be on national team for the golden state warriors they've already been flexed out of a couple pre-all-star break really hoping the nba continues that trend trend because it's just a waste of a national tv slot i mean dude, I guess eric the- pascal dude what do you mean what? just a waste <laughs> of a slot uh, it's true uh I, i'm curious how many they could flex but i'm betting that they flex as many as humanly possible except for if and when steph comes back those will be on fine for, sure. for a few, for a few, not for all of them, not for all of them, but good stuff, good stuff. Uh, last words for me, thank you, Frank, for reminding me that the Knicks got rid of Steve Mills. That's very, very good. Uh, hey. And also reminding me that our new uh, guru of marketing, Steve Stout, made a mistake in his first ever public appearance as a person in relation to the Knicks. But nonetheless, the Knicks have some <laughs> things to do. They have some games to play. Shout out to the Knicks, I guess. I don't know. Alfred Payton's been pretty good. Let me see. I said this to Duff the other day. This is my last words. It might be my last words for every podcast we do until it happens. Mitch needs to play 30 minutes a night or until he fails out. I'm sick of seeing him playing 20 minutes. He needs to play more. He needs to play a lot. He needs to play hard. He needs to, to learn how to play with fouls. I'm sick of it. All right? That's my last words. Give me some point, Mitchell. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. A little, little three ball from Mitch. That's it. Why not? 
All right. Well, anyways, uh, all is done here on the Sports Blog New York podcast. A very fun episode, in my opinion, about the second half or, you know, proverbial second half of the season post-All-Star break and a bunch of good All-Star talk with our insider of the week last week, John Lucas Duffy, now back to being an outsider. But for John Lucas Duffy, for Frank Vellani, I am Pete Kennedy. You've been listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. Enjoy the rest of the basketball season, and we'll see you back here on another episode very soon.